right, hello, hello, good afternoon, everyone. I am uh, your host, Nika Sherell, and this is the ITCAST Real Talk on Sex. The ITCAST is our community outreach podcast that increases diversity in conversations on health and sexuality. Through this work, we are creating a world where all people feel loved, honored, and respected. We have some events coming up for you this season, November 4th through 7th, that is a week away. We are having The Chase. This is a wonderful event inside of the kinky realm where we're gonna go and get in our costumes, hang out and play hide and seek in the woods and then chill in some hot tubs. Learn more at chase.pet and join us there next week. Uh, we also have the Global Sexual Health and Freedom Summit coming up February 4th and 5th, 2023. Uh, we're going to get together and have a global conversation to empower healing and how we operate in the world around our sexuality. Uh, you can get early bird tickets right now. Uh, go ahead and register at sexhealthsummit.com. Uh, as some of you know, I am a coach, and if you would like to get one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, you can visit my link tree to book a free connection session so we can talk about how I can serve you. Um, next, please, please, please ask us anything. Uh, we want to hear from you. Put your questions in the chat. Uh, we also have a lovely Q&A form that you can find in the links below, and tell us what you want to know. You can get more access to our content, uh, chats with me and the guests behind the scenes and other fun deals on our Patreon. You can go there and subscribe. It's patreon.com slash Nika Shirell. Subscribe to this YouTube channel and share this work with your community. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. So today we are doing real talk on sex work. And we have an incredible panel here for you today. In the booth we have, Catherine, Rebecca Blanton, Kathy Reisenwitz, and Jet Setting Jasmine. Please, please, please go ahead and turn your cameras on and come onto the show. There you are, lovely faces. Hi. Good morning. Good afternoon, rather. Yes. Good morning, good afternoon, all of the above. Um, okay, so before we uh, get started in the conversation, I would love for each of you to tell us a little bit about yourselves and why you're doing the show. I'll start. Uh, I'm Kathy Reisenwitz. Uh, I am a writer at Sex in the State, uh, which is kathyreisenwitz.substack.com. Um, I focus on um, gender, sex, sexuality, also a sex worker and advocate for the decriminalization and destigmatization of all things sex. Thank you. Happy to go next. Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jasmine Johnson, performer known as Jet Setting Jasmine. I am the co-owner of Royal Fetish Films with my partner Noir and also Jet Setting Jasmine LLC, which is a sex education and entertainment company. I am also the owner and lead operator of Blue Pearl Therapy, where I am a psychotherapist. Um, we serve in all areas of providing kink, BDSM, erotica, and romance, centering pleasure for the Black and brown beautiful body. Mm. <laughs> love it, love it. So, Rebecca? Sure, I'm Rebecca Blanton. I'm better known as Auntie Vice. I am a full-time podcaster and blogger. I run the podcast Fat Chicks on Top, where we focus on bigger bodies, disabled bodies, 
bodies of color and how they interact with the world. Uh, my background is I have a doctorate in political psychology and headed the California Commission on the Status of Women and Girls. And I continue to work, um, use my political connections for advocacy for sex worker rights and, and gender rights. Mm -hmm. Thank you, yes. Hi, my name is Catherine. Uh, I'm a burlesque performer and MC known as Juicy Delight. I'm also a health and um, sex educator. Uh, I teach often about kink as I was a pro dom for 20 years, um, lifetime dom and a sex worker, so. Yes, thank you. Thank you all for being on the show. I am so excited about this. Um, you know, one of the things that we discussed in terms of like pulling the show together is just how much work is out there and how underestimated people who are in the sex work industry actually are. Like, I hope everybody listening caught the level of brilliance and engagement that comes from the work that you're doing. Powerful. Um, so I am curious, uh, first let's talk about uh, legal sex work and types of sex work, just so that people have a framework of all the things. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to talk about sex work as um, an umbrella term um, that encompasses a wide variety of erotic labor. And so it can encompass everything from phone sex operators, to erotica writers, to uh, exotic dancers, to full service sex workers. Um, and I kind of liken it to uh, like uh, the food industry, right? Where you've got a variety of different ways that you can um, sell food, um, different levels of food service. You've got everything from, you know, taco trucks to Michelin star restaurants and um, a wide variety of services that you would provide uh, in that arena. So yeah, legal sex work would be like, um, you know, porn performing, uh, uh, exotic dancing, um, phone sex operation, and then illegal sex work would be uh, full service sex work. Um, and generally speaking, like erotic massage um, is usually criminalized, um, but it varies from uh, city to city. And so um, in some cities, for example, like escorting is legal where you pay someone for their time and sex may or may not happen. Um, but in most places in the US, uh, explicit full service sex work is, is not legal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and even of the, sorry, legalized uh, forms of sex work, they're often very highly regulated. So for example, um, phone sex operators can't talk about blood play um, or they risk running afoul of obscenity laws. Um, and there's a ton of regulations on like where um, strip clubs can be located, so. Yeah, yeah, thank you. The regulations and the criminalization, that's what, um, that's one of the things that targets like the work and how people get to move in the world. Um, thank you. Yeah. And part of that, when it comes from the policy and in policymaking, one of the big issues we run into is politicians not actually talking to people who worked in sex work. And so it's one of these things that we have all of these perceptions from people who don't have contact with this world doing what they think is best for people that they don't know anything about and trying to get those contacts where you're actually talking to people who are 
experiencing the impacts of these laws is incredibly difficult, which means much of the legislation can be damaging unintentionally to sex workers. Um, and trying to, even when we're trying to legalize it, make it, make ways for people to move through the world easier, that disconnect from the people making the policy and the people doing the work is very problematic. Yeah, just to second that, I mean, um, we've had anti-porn uh, lobbyists speak to Congress several times now, um, but when sex workers try to speak to Congress, they're shut down. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's real. Um, you mentioned you brought up the the um, I, you said it. You said it, Auntie Vice. It was regarding um, the whole save saving situation. And I know, Kathy, we talked about like the savior complex. Um, so I think that is deep in the realm of like criminalization and the stigma and the prejudice that goes into this. I would love to hear a little bit about a uh, little bit about your thoughts on that. Well, there's this whole industrial complex around saving sex workers, and a lot of it's gotten tied up in the you know end human trafficking um, phenomena, right? But the fact is, of the matter is that the US government and most of these aid organizations don't recognize the existence of adult consensual sex work. And so they say every sex worker as a trafficking victim mm -hmm. and every sex worker as um, a, a person who is in need of um, rescue. And uh, that's why the ma mantra of sex workers is rights, not rescue. Um, sex workers don't need rescue, trafficking victims do. And the best way to find and rescue trafficking victims is to work with sex workers to find them and help them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everyone needs the same things. They need uh, adequate food and shelter. They need options for employment. Um, sex isn't magic, right? The, a sex worker is in no more need of, of special intervention in their life and being forced into other kind, kinds of work than a domestic worker, janitor, your barista. Um, and so there's a, an extremely like paternalistic, condescending way that we think of sex workers as uh, you know fundamentally always in crisis and always needing someone to make them get on the right path. And uh, I think that just fundamentally misunderstands uh, sex worker agency. Mm -hmm. Jasmine, I see so much nodding over there. I love it. <laughs> I'm just, I, you know, um, Kathy and Auntie I said really, I, I, I would hate to even, I don't need to piggyback or to add on. I'm just nodding in. Yes, yes. Tell them. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that resonates so much with me is hearing this lack of agency that is um, that we're afforded as sex workers. And we see the trickle down for those that are listening that are not sex workers. I think you can um, likely see the parallels to how our our policies that are in place for whatever marginal intersection you meet, where folks are making decisions for you, your um, your livelihood, your family, your ability to manage your own body because of either the need for that control um, of, of others and or the idea that we cannot make these decisions on our own, um, which for either way is incredibly disrespectful and, and dehumanizing to our experience. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned uh, before about service providers and the other people that we exist in our world with actually being in sex work informed. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I spend a lot of, uh, of 
big chunk of my work working with folks that are not sex workers, but that inter interact with sex workers, which means everyone, everywhere, right? And so normalizing our existence in our communities um, and how from two perspectives, one from the, a, a better way to, um, to serve your clientele is to be able to meet them where they are. Most of our ethics um, in, in medicine, you know, start there causing less or doing no harm being um, meeting people where they are, but somehow when it comes to sex workers, we tend to um, over project that we know what's right for them. Um, I'm a therapist and I can see that the mental health, mental health community has a long way to go in terms of not passing and projecting our white supremacist patriarchal judgments um, onto our clients when it comes to helping people process things that have nothing to do with sex work, but somehow still centering sex work as the problem, right? Um, but I go as far as to, you know, our medical providers, are they kink informed? Can I, as a porn performer, speak to my medical provider about my reproductive rights, about my sexual health at, in the context of the work that I do? Um, can I have open conversations with, my my children's education providers um, in the context of our family travels a lot um, or you know there's just so so many things that are unique to my lifestyle that I would like to be able to share with providers so that I can have the best service the best outcomes whether for health purposes my financial purposes can I talk to my financial provide uh, excuse me my accountants and uh, financial service providers about how my uh, financial structure is set up as a sex worker to get the best outcome for my retirement. Mm -hmm. Do I have a realtor that's sex work friendly that is going to honor the fact that I have to have a certain level of privacy where wherever it is that we may be looking for a home next or that my home loan may have to be done in a particular way because I cannot apply for certain um, loans and resources because of the type of structure um, of ways that, that my partner and I um, earn our income. So for me, uh, yes, it is important to speak, uh, to be forward, to, to have this voice to politicians. It's important for us to have a voice to the general public, but it is incredibly important to see what other institutions sex workers interface with and how they have either normalized or further marginalized sex workers. Um, do they realize in what close proximity they work with sex workers and how they, and also to help them understand that by having less discriminatory and stigmatized practices, it's good for their business too. Like if you don't care about me from a moralistic value, care about your business enough to know that if you offer me good service um, and you center the things that are important to me, like it'll help your bottom line as well. Yeah, I think that's so, I'm so glad you brought up how much stigma and discrimination there is against sex workers, but because I feel like with OnlyFans and all the coverage and like, oh, you know, these models are making a million dollars a month and blah, blah, blah. There's this idea that like sex work has become normalized, but sex workers are still losing their bank accounts. They're losing their apartments. They're having their kids kicked out of their schools. Mm -hmm. um, they're losing custody of their children. Um, sex workers would be still being heavily discriminated against in every major, major area of life. Um, and so as long as this is true, it's like, are, are you trying to, to help sex workers or make their lives extremely difficult because the stigma and discrimination just further marginalizes and um, exploits sex workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Catherine. Yes, love. Yes. Um, so so just just first off, the exploiting of sex workers is huge. I know that we uh oh, I have so many questions. We did talk about um let me pause. <laughs> All the well, ideas. Let me, let me what we did talk about, and and I think it is it I think it's important to mention um that not everyone who does sex work does sex work has the has necessarily has agency, has made that choice out of a choice. You know, like when I did it, it was my choice. I was happy to do it. I enjoyed my work. Um, so it came from a place of that privilege. And I just wanna make sure we don't forget the people who don't have that privilege and made that choice out of desperation. That's all I'm saying. And I think they need to be protected and considered as well. Like one thing you and I were talking about, like I all my trans sisters have told me that um, having to do sex work is damn near a rite of passage because of the discrimination against trans women and they're not able to find work. So I think we need to think about different ways, um, different ways that people go into sex work and different ways that we might need to protect them and help them. Like right now, staying on the trans issue, um, this country's uh, transphobic, you know, rhetoric, the whole bathroom policies, blah, blah, blah. And children can't decide who they are because they're children. Um, you know, like it's far reaching. It's, it's very far reaching, it's my point. And there are other examples, but I'll yield the floor. Well, and I wanna piggyback on that because people get into sex work in a, a whole myriad of ways, right? Absolutely. There's not one path to becoming a sex worker. There's not one type of sex work. So, right. you know, there, we see a ton of trans folks going into it because of job discrimination. About 40% of homeless youth are in the LGBTQ population because they don't have a safe place at home. So survival sex work becomes an option. Um, whereas other, you know, I know plenty of folks with higher degrees who've decided later on that they want to run them their own business and this is their option and what happens in politics is we conflate all of these mm -hmm. and when we talk about and then now we're there's so much discussion conflating consensual adult sex work with childhood sex trafficking and we're going to make an overarching policy and we see really damaging legislation come out right. uh, plenty of us have been afflicted by SESTA and FOSTA and the right. evidence coming out is that that actually empowered more pimps and more traffickers. Yeah, right. I, my point was like, let's let's. It's it's a broader topic than people who actually want mm. to do this work. Like I said, when I did the work, I wanted to. So I just want to make sure that we remember we remember adults with agency who needed to, and were able to, because of the situation but they still need to be not criminalized right. and they still need to be protected. Right. Yeah, and it, it's not actually, so looking at the savior complex and actually what right. needs to happen, there's a huge missing in, oh, we're going to fix it by regulating and bringing in all these laws instead of, oh, we're gonna fix it making by making sure that people are economically empowered and have agency and all of the rest of the things that like lead to that survival space. Um, We've like the whole conversation around uh, childhood sex trafficking and like that, that's one of the main things that was there for me with this show is I see so many young girls out 
being trafficked and I see so many laws coming at legitimate business owners and like trying to think that, oh, if I attack this problem, if I fix sex worker problem, then I'm going to fix this whole other industry. And they are not the same. Like I would even go to say that they're not even remotely correlated in the psychology behind it. So please share some more on, on that conversation. I know a few of us talked about that. Yeah. I mean, the evidence is really clear that the most effective and uh, way to reduce instances of human trafficking, sex trafficking particularly, um, with the least un unintended consequences is to fully decriminalize sex work. Um, not only does it reduce instances of human trafficking, but it reduces instances of STIs, it reduces violence, um, it uh, reduces exploitation. Um, everywhere it's been tried, like it's been extremely effective. And so uh, it really makes absolutely no sense for this whole a cottage industry of rescue organizations and awareness campaigns and new laws to come into play when we know how to deal with this problem. Um, and it's to give workers more rights and it's to give people more options, not fewer, not more criminalization, um, not more fear. Mm -hmm. yeah. In California, when I was working with the Commission on Status of Women and Girls, sex trafficking was one of the concerns and I worked with a number of organizations around that and the the largest trafficked group of of girls in California were in foster care right mm. so these are kids who had already been exploited who'd already been hurt who are already in the system and just addressing our foster care needs would go a very long way in on the west coast to actually addressing this but Foster, you know, black and brown foster kids are not people that are going to write big checks, right? And politicians right. are driven by donations. So that gets ignored. And we don't do policies to keep these kids safe. Um, and things like the uh, electronic backpack where they can take health records from one home to the next and have consistent health care, providing food and shelter and mental health support for their parents so they don't end up in the system in the first place. We have some real basic work to do that could make an enormous difference, but we don't have the political will. It's easier to take away bank accounts and, and you know, put limits on MasterCard um, and deprive, you know, legitimate sex workers of their, their hard-earned money rather than actually address the fundamental structural needs that we need to do to address the people most vulnerable. Well, and the foster care system is so uh, bonkers because yeah. in the vast majority of cases, these kids are being taken out of their homes um, for quote unquote neglect, which essentially is being poor and non-white. It's overwhelmingly yeah. uh, non-white mothers who uh, are, have their kids taken away. So the state takes these kids out of their homes, which is an adverse childhood experience, which is going to be expensive for the state for the rest of their lives. Kids who have more adverse childhood experiences have more uh, criminal history, lower uh, educational attainment, uh, worse health, more mental health problems, yada, yada. And then they pay another family to raise the kids instead of just giving the moms what they need to meet the kids' basic needs. So it's expensive from start to finish for worse results and, and you know, systemically like, racist. Let's not pretend like it's just that these kids can't pay checks. Let's also pay attention to the fact that this country does not care about black and brown children. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a part of it. And if they can make money from them, and they do worse off, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. So um, as we see, as we, as like I was talking to uh, Nika when we talked, um, quick sidebar. You know, we learned that several hundreds of black girls are being uh, missing and kidnapped and trafficked, and there's no pink pussy hats anywhere. So. It's a, a junior privatized prison system, if you will. Um, you know, yeah. it runs very, very parallel to the same process and case structure. Mm -hmm. um, and the interesting thing is like, we are having this discussion about sex work, but we can't talk about sex work without, we can't even get into sex work without having to have this very layered conversation of what sex work is, Mm -hmm. and what it isn't and and then prioritize what it is because those children those uh folks that are forced in uh forced into making that decision out of desperation you know adults that are making mm -hmm. a desperate decision because of stigmatization and, and discrimination in the workforce because parents are are left without resources um to raise their children like sex workers are able to clearly see the ills of society and what those priorities are, where resources need to be redirected, where political attention needs to be redirected. But somehow everything gets, the attention gets placed on um, the word flogging on my OnlyFans, right? You know, like, you know, that just, it, 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 it baffles me that you can find these words and these terms and uh, what's happening in a consensual porn scene, but you cannot find a hundred black girls, right? You know, like this is, I don't, I, I, I am by no means about to lead into some great solution or some epiphany here, y'all. I'm really just sharing like this conversation that we're having is just further highlighting how the, 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 priorities or lack thereof of the society in which we live and how we are often used as a deflection of really important, really important topics, life or death topics. And um, it's, it's, it's so sad. Like when, you know, we, like I'd like to talk about like the fun of sex work and how empowering it is and how like delicious and yummy and wanting to uh, help people learn and, and ex explore pleasure in their bodies. But it's really difficult to do that when I know that my my industry is being targeted as the cause of some of these really, really painful things in our society. It's absolutely, it's so insane that we talk about the choice to go into sex work when we need to be talking about why does anyone in the richest country in the world have to do work they don't wanna do, that they find distasteful, mm -hmm. that's I, dangerous. right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I just want to double back to the whole foster care conversation for a quick second and just put out that foster care is human trafficking and it has its roots in human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I'll even go a step further and let y'all know human trafficking is just the new rebranding of slavery. Like let's be severely clear yeah. about what that looks like. Um, and just looking, just looking at that trafficking part, the fact that people are being paid to like, like it's it's buying 
this human being and their time and their resources and their life. So the other thing that came up is so many children run away from the foster care system and then end up being trafficked even further. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to put out that uh, the joys of sex work is going to be part two. Let's talk. <laughs> Uh, now we're going to do the joys like now. <laughs> no, no, no. Next, next okay. panel. <laughs> but you can. <laughs> no, um, and I'm, I'm loving, but yeah, it's weird. In my head, I just thought that, you know, um, sex work, the way the society is dealing with sex work is, is the way they're dealing with the homeless problem, right? Like, just, just get rid of it. Oh my God, it's horrible. Instead of figuring out, there are some people, like I know people who have chosen to be off the grid, like mm -hmm. F politics, F the society, I'm off. And there are some people who are addicts who need help. And they're, and, but instead of dealing with those human beings as human beings and dealing with those reasons, people who want to be off the grid, allow that because that's what they want, but be available when they need to come back, you know, medical reasons, whatever. People who need help, help them and so on. It's, I feel the same way about about sex work, it should, I think it should be legalized. Um, it should be destigmatized because it's not going anywhere. You know, it's not, this is not something that we, that we, we don't need to cure it, but that's what they're like, we're gonna cure this. We're gonna cure these people who do this thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not going anywhere. People who do sex work are sane. Uh, most of the brilliant people I know, specifically women, most of the brilliant, most brilliant women I know do sex work. Yeah. Um, so there's no need, like you said, the savior, there's no need for that. But instead yeah. of focusing on what's happening, focus, it, focus on who needs the help. Like she said, doing work that you find distasteful, why, in a first world nation, why does that exist? Why do we have a need for that? We need to figure that out and let grown folks do what grown folks are gonna do, right? Yeah. Let grown folks have their agency, but help those who need help. Yeah. And listen to those who say, I need help and I need it in this form. Right. I'm really bad about that. In medicine, in psychology, in politics, mm -hmm. we're all trained to come in with the expert knows what's best. And it was my oh, entire God. research career of screaming, no, you have to listen to the people going through it if you have any type of, any hope of the solution. Yeah, I hate that condescending bullshit. Sorry, I just- yeah. It's interesting too, like um, what Jasmine was saying about uh, providers, um, it reminds me of how you know, when a fat person goes into the doctor, it's like, it's all about them being fat. And when a sex worker goes into the doctor, it's all about them being a sex worker, right? It's an extremely patronizing, patriarchal, condescending, uh, control-based way to, to, to deal with people. And it's interesting to see the overlaps. Excellent. And just alone, Excellent. requiring medical students to sit through an entire semester of listening to people in marginalized communities just discuss their interactions with the healthcare system would go a long way to breaking that down, right? Your half hour class lecture on what sex workers go through does not prepare you to treat a sex worker, no. right? Um, or a fat person or a trans person. Like, but there's such a 
we have such a disconnect of listening to the people who have the lived experience. Yeah. I like what you just said about the whole educational system. It's so very, and when you step outside of the colonialist construct is what I'm going to call it. Um, You know, you have these like little, when you're in it, you have these little nuggets. Like I remember when I was in school, we had one semester of ethnic studies and it included both African-Americans and Native Americans. It was like, oh, y'all are the same and y'all kind of been through the same shit. Y'all will be fine. And inside of the medical industry, you're making like such a brilliant point that you don't know how to treat, interact, behave, or respect people who you know nothing about. Yeah, it's completely impossible. Can we talk a touch more about education? I know you had mentioned uh, sex ed the other day, and I think that there are some huge missings in that um, that I would love for you to share. So, yeah, my, my high horse is sex. You know, we, we know the sex education system in the U.S. is broken. Um, yeah, Dr. Sprankle, Eric Sprankle, has my favorite. Is, you know, we have a sex ed system focused on sexual disease transmission, which is like teaching, going to cooking school and only learning about salmonella. Right? <laughs> there's there's no joy or connection. And one of the things that is gravely missing in sex ed is talking about the emotional side of it and that 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 more human connection side of it and if you look at studies of why kids between like 16 and 22 go to porn sites and and watch stuff they're looking for how adults interact and they're looking you know at that age you know your teens you're this bundle of hormones that want connection but when somebody makes you feel special, especially if your parents aren't seeing you, if you don't have a supportive adult, it makes you much more vulnerable. And that's what makes it easy to lure people who are, don't have supportive adults like kids in the foster system into this. And when you listen to people who've been trafficked, it's, I felt special. This person made me feel good, right? So bringing that emotional component into sex ed, which we are so far from being able to do because most adults don't like to talk about the emotional part of sex, right? Right. But I think that's where sex workers and people in this industry have such a better understanding because it's not just the physical aspect of sex, right? So much of what we do is about connection and intimacy and seeing somebody for who they are. And we need to bring that in in an age-appropriate way to our sex ed. Yes. Ooh, connection. That's so real. Like that's, that's exactly what it was. And you described that. I was like, oh yeah. Cause there was a missing. Um, Catherine, we talked yes. about grooming and I think this is a perfect jump off into some of what you shared. Girl, we talked so much. Remind me what we talked about. <laughs> we talked for a minute. So <laughs> remind, me. remind me what I said. I talk so much sometimes. Yeah, no, no, no. So uh, playing on people's insecurities and creating that, like, I feel special. Oh, this is what makes me feel more adult. I think that was in our conversation. Maybe it wasn't. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I don't think it was us, but I'm interested. I'm interested in learning what you have to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so just talking about um, the way in which uh, pimps will approach and groom young women and young, like young people. Oh, and like play on their insecurities, uh, you like all those aspects. Um, and just the type yeah. of that goes into I would, 
telling you about um, back in the day, I don't know, you guys are all young up in here. There was a documentary, there are like, I think two, possibly three called Pimps Up, Hose Down, where they, um, they interviewed pimps. And a few of the pimps were talked about like how they target who they look for because these pimps were pimps of women who, um, who walk the streets, right? Those, those particular mm -hmm. types of prostitutes and how they would look for the girl who probably didn't have a good home life, who was insecure, who, um, who you know, they would see, they could tell. I mean, you know, if you're a predator, you know what your prey looks like. So um, yeah, I found that really disturbing about how open he was about that's who he preyed upon to put out on the street. And because of what auntie said, um, there's a certain amount of really strong loyalty of someone who sees you. So one pimp even tells a story about a woman being attacked and on the gurney and her saying, daddy, I sure wish I could go out there and make that money for you. She's on the gurney, <laughs> like, wow. So yeah, but uh, that's the dark side of sex work. Well, it's the dark side of, of trafficking for sure. And it's definitely, you know. Okay, so here's where I'm. Here's where I'm confused. Now, I'm confused um, that as a as a grown woman who got, I'll say, seduced. It's the it's the only word I have available right now. Now, is would you still consider that trafficking? Because I need to learn that. What exactly is trafficking? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Anyone, anyone who can answer. My thought, my thought behind that, and I, I can see where where um, the the overlap or the confusion lies. I look at the emotional and financial manipulation abuse, um, okay. the component where it goes from that independent, autonomous, um, you know, adult woman that's making this decision to do this work, and then this added influence of a predator abuse, the financial. Okay. And that person's ability to get in and out of that work. Um, and so, you know, we know that the power dynamic usually um, in those relationships are set up so that that person cannot leave that work safely if they wanted to. Um, and also being kept at a certain resource level, because we have people that are being sex trafficked by pimps that are, are, are freely walking around, um, out and about, going home. To, to their own homes, their own, you know, with children. And um, we have digital pimps now where this, this yeah. um, person may not even be out on the stroll the way that people uh, have sort of identified what prostitution looks like, what sex work looks like. And they are being um, forced, coerced, manipulated into making content at a certain level, a certain speed. Um, and they are a percentage of that is going to someone else where they couldn't necessarily buy their way out of that type of work. So I think, you know, and and that is where it gets dicey, especially when you add that emotional abuse component where if right. I'm on the gurney and I still can't even see that I'm being used, abused, and exploited. Right. Thank um, you for that. Because um, me, like other people, again, need that education. Because when we think of trafficking, we think of someone being snatched up off the street and taken cross, cross country lines, taken out of the country. We think of really bombastic things like that. But yeah, so thank you for that. No problem. Because that's the narrative. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. The stereotype, that's what they want you to believe. Right. <laughs> I really, I, understanding that it can be just as simple 
as how Jasmine described it. So hopefully your viewers got, a, got an education about that as well. I certainly did. Thank you. Awesome. Kathy, before you jump in, I just wanted to say I was um, doing some work with the National Association of Social Work and sat for a presentation where an um, a FBI um, agent was talking about their work with um, sex trafficking victims and how difficult it was for them to identify, like they're looking for the narrative that we were just sort of making the differentiation. And um, the way that it came to her that this looks so different than what she thought, than what the movies portrayed, was a um, a trafficked woman who was like a mother of three, had you know worked with, uh, did her her sex work really her sex trafficking between these hours and was at, done by three p.m. to pick up her kids. Is because she went to the hospital to have a chip removed from her. Um, the pimp put a chip in her, an animal chip, to be able to track her wherever she went. Um, so she was presumably free because he knew where she was at all times. Um, and so that was that's what it took to reframe this FBI agent because the hospital then contacted law enforcement once they understood what the connection with this chip was. Uh, but I mean, I mean, that's pretty extreme. So I hope that yes, our listeners are hearing yeah. the same way that we have to teach people what domestic violence looks like. It doesn't look like one with a black eye. Right. Um, right. That's the thing is that sex trafficking, as far as I can tell, 99% of the time, it doesn't just look like it is domestic violence. It, it's exactly the same thing, except there's then forcing people to do erotic labor. But it's, it's, it happens the same way. You know, you meet somebody, they shower you with love, then they start getting controlling and abusive. And right. you believe that you're in a relationship with them because you are, it's just an, an abusive one. But domestic violence isn't sexy. Domestic violence isn't new. We can't, we don't, nobody wants to make a moral panic about domestic violence. Domestic violence happens in a third of relationships. Um, but it's because there's sex work involved and it's this new thing and it's stranger danger all over again. There's guys in vans that are gonna kidnap you in the target parking lot. So be vigilant ladies. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. Right. Um, and it, it isn't unfortunately a bright line between sex work and sex trafficking, just like there isn't, unfortunately, a bright line between a shitty relationship and domestic violence. It's gray and it's yucky and it's a spectrum. Um, it's messy. And we're losing that in the conversations because so much of conversation now, people want certainty. People want black and white, and this is clear right or wrong. And all that nuance gets stripped away and you can't figure out solutions and make good legislation and good policy and take care of people if you don't get that nuance. And I'm not sure how we get back to having those conversations of the difference between, yeah, you're doing sex work and you chose it, but you really wanna get out, but it's kind of shitty and the economy sucks versus this is sex trafficking, um, you know, but it's, I, I mean, I think it starts by listening to people who've actually been in it. Um, and again, we miss that in our research, in our uh, policy work, because we don't want to listen to the people who've actually been through it, because some of it can be yucky. And so, and the last thing anybody wants in a congressional legislative hearing is somebody talking about the joys of sex work, because right. by God, they would burst into flame on the dais. <laughs> but it's, it's like the solution is the same for domestic violence. 
I'm sorry, for domestic violence survivors and survival sex workers and trafficking victims, like the solutions are the same. Like people need a functional social safety net. People need worker protections. People need rights. Like it's, you know, we need a, we need a floor for people so they don't have to be in situations that are bad for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say we need an EDD department that'll pay sex workers when they can't, you know, when they go out on disability. Like right. but job security. Right. So uh Jasmine, I want to pull you in on this because we talked a lot about like, you know, creating a sustainable career and like how do you actually move through this system and get the support and grow away from scarcity. So I would love for you to speak a little on that. Thank you for, for sharing that. I think we are, um, for all the things that we just talked about that feel really heavy and, and um, uh, sort of cyclical, I think that we are in a really good position to start to see um, sex workers who are doing sex work consensually, legally, willfully, um, be able to sustain their careers as sex workers um, because of a lot of the progress that folks that are here on this panel have made. Um, seeing just how the industry um, from the digital perspective has grown over the last you know 10 to 15 years where uh, you know sex workers have more control of their content um, are able to monetize that that content in many different ways the way that we are able to meet and engage with people digitally um, also you know seeing a rise of interest in um, sex workers of so many different orientations and expressions on like auntie vice's podcast is giving space for people that are in fat bodies um, I hope I'm giving people the, I, um, the the model for being a black mom, you know, and a breastfeeding mom, like all of the many different ways that people show up at my door. Like I, I want to see more of that naked, you know. <laughs> so, um, and I see myself being able to to go like, okay, well, if you want to see this at 42, wait till you see what it looks like at 62, you know, wait till you see what it looks like at 10. Okay, I could actually be doing this, you know. Um, so I'm really excited about that from the performer's perspective, but also we are seeing this generation of sex workers that are content creators um, and you know, in, in many different uh, modalities work behind the camera, um, be really fast to learn technology and you know editing their work, learning how to market it in very interesting ways. I'm seeing sex workers that are sort of hanging up their hat on doing um, some of the forward facing, the in front of the camera work and that are managing people's OnlyFans and other premiums that we're saying goodbye to some of our agents and our um, legal pimps. And that's what I, that some of them feel like. And we are starting to do more peer peer support. Um, we are seeing sex workers train each other and create these organizations that are putting people into positions of leadership. Every time I speak to any uh, sexual sex education or um, uh, therapy uh, uh, CEUs where we get our continued education units, I ask for scholarships for sex workers, specifically BIPOC sex workers, to be able to get the same education that these other providers are getting, I ask for a part of my retainer is that a sex worker can go through that training um, right along with everyone else. So that way, if they choose to leave the industry, they have 
a certification or they can be a coach because there are so many people that are coaching and consulting that have never done a lot of the things that people are coming to them for. Right. And I'm not saying that we all have to have, you know, our, our finger in the pot, but it sure does help if you have people with lived experience, lived experiences that are providing the education um, and the hand over hand training. So um, I, I'm really excited about the future of sex workers being able to sustain themselves. I'm seeing um, on some of these platforms where they're offering group medical insurance for performers that are a part of the platform. Um, that are teaching each other about how to invest financially. Like, you know, we the way that we our gig economy works, we're even starting to see better ways for us to pour into our own retirement. So, um, you know, it is really important for me to, when I have an opportunity to talk with other sex workers to help them diversify their income, think about, really think about how do you want to age in this, in this industry? You do not have to be pushed out. Um, and so what does that look like to stand in it? Is it advocacy? Is it education? Is it continue? Will you continue to be a performer? For me, when the body doesn't want to give anymore, I'll probably go back to phone sex, right? Um, you know, or if the body doesn't want to give anymore, then, you know, maybe that's when I'll write my memoirs. And, you know, people are interested in our erotic, yummy stories and exciting things that we have lived. So that's what I'm really hopeful for with from the perspective of sustainability. Beautiful, beautiful, thank you. Did anyone else wanna touch on that before we, no? I think there is a conception that, um, you know, everyone wants a thin, able-bodied, cis, white, you know, uh, sex worker, and that's, you know, all anybody's gonna pay for. And I just, my experience in sex work and knowing other sex workers and understanding the um, industry better is that that's not even close to true at all. Like there is a market for literally everything and everyone. Um, and so I think that it's easy for a sex worker to be afraid um, that if they don't fit into this narrow mold or they stop fitting into this narrow mold that they're going to have to do something else um, or their earnings are going to be, you know, just, you know, going down to nothing. And I just, I think that that's unnecessary, um, that there's just a lot out there. And um, yeah, the world is, is weirder uh, and wider than, than I think uh, people want you to, to, to know. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna rebut that uh, very slightly. Um, I do think the society is taught to value uh, white, young, skinny, um, all of that more. So For sure. as, yeah, so we can't, we, yeah, the world is wide, the world is big, but honestly, if we're gonna be honest, Kathy, you would make much more money than I would make. Period dot, whether you have the skills and experience I have or not. So we do have to take the racism and the ableism and all of that into account because it's a real thing with real consequences. And that includes consequences for sex work. Old people, fat people, um, because you can't tell them fat. Um, so all of that, all of that comes into play. And um even actresses, I mean, not sex, no matter what work you do talk about how you're discriminated about. How, Viola Davis talks about how she's not paid as well as Meryl Streep mm -hmm. and she's mm -hmm. just as skilled. 
So I think we do need to pay attention to the fact that yes, if you're fat black, you can make money doing sex work. You can. Old, you can make money doing sex work. It's not going to be the same as a young, skinny, white female, period, dot the end. It, that's just the reality of it. And it's because society is, is, is fucked up and doesn't see value. We are taught who we see value in, mm -hmm. um, which is also back to the topic why I don't think sex workers get what they need as human beings because you know they're dirty, they're used, they're blah, 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 blah. So we don't take care of them the way we would take care of a nurse even though they're both providing services that have been needed throughout the centuries and that are not going away. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, whew, that brings up so many other things that we're gonna have to talk about in just a minute. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and get your, uh, you know, share a little bit more about where people can find you. Um, if there are any things coming up or any resources that you would like for people to know uh, before we complete, who would like to go? I went first before, so I'll finish it up first. Uh, yeah, uh, my writing is at uh, Sex in the State, which is on Substack. So it's kathyreisenwitz.substack.com. That is C-A-T-H-Y-R-E-I-S-E-N-W-I-T-Z. I'm also on Twitter at, at Kathy Reisenwitz. Um, and yeah, I've got more posts on loneliness, masculinity, sex work, um, all kinds of fun stuff uh, coming uh, down the pike. So please subscribe and thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Jasmine. Um, yes, take order. Um, I am jetfittingjasmine.com where you can find all the things from the um, political porn and politics uh, podcast all the way to the yummy stuff at royalfetishxxx.com. And I um, just want to take a moment and say thank you. It's an honor to share space with those that are on the panel with me today. And I'm looking forward to digging into your work and using it to further my cause in this. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm Auntie Vice. You can find me on most social media at Auntie, A-U-N-T-I-E, Vice, V-I-C-E. I also have AuntieVice.com, which is my website and my blog, Love Letters to a Unicorn, as well as my weekly podcast, Fat Chicks on Top, for all things fat. Yeah. I love that as a fat chick. I love that fat chicks on top. I'll be reaching out to you on two guys. I, I, um, I had it. I'm like, I got to talk to you again. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. My name is Catherine. Uh, I go by Juicy Delight on all platforms um, where I talk about, I talk about everything that bugs me and everything that makes me happy, just like everybody else does on social media. Um, I, uh, I MC, uh, Burlesque Shells for Hubba Hubba Review um, and wherever they'll open the door. <laughs> so my next show is at the DNA Lounge on the first Monday upstairs. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh my God. Um, yes. Well, thank you all for being on the show. This is an incredible conversation and I am sure that everyone out there getting to listen is going to be moved and transformed and educated by everything that you shared. Incredible, incredible. And again, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, thank you. I'm so honored to be in this room. Yeah. Thank you. You women are awesome. I'm, I'm happy to have uh, listened to you speak. I learned a lot from all of you. Same. Same here, thanks.
Yes. All right, everyone, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today. Uh, this has been the It Cast Real Talk on Sex Work with our lovely panelists. Oh, Maggie, too soon. Maggie, 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 Maggie. <laughs> Maggie's like, let's roll. Maggie's ready to roll. Let's go. <laughs> I love you so much. Okay, okay, everybody. <laughs> like rock and roll people let's move this <laughs> okay okay everyone everyone okay so um this is the it cast real talk on sex uh we focus on increasing diversity in conversations on health and sexuality through this work we are creating a world where all people feel loved honored and respected this season, we have some events coming up for you. The Chase is next weekend, November 4th through 7th. Uh, we're going to get together, put on our costumes, and play hide-and-seek in the woods. It is fantastic and wonderful. Uh, the Global Sexual Health and Freedom Summit is also coming February 4th and 5th, 2023. Get your early bird tickets there now and register at sexhealthsummit.com. Get one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. Uh, go ahead and visit my link tree to book a free connection session. I want to hear from you and see how I can serve you. Uh, ask us anything. Please send in your questions, anything that you want to know. Uh, we, we want to know how we can serve you best, and we thank you for your listening. Um, okay, get access to our bonus content. We're about to go film the after chat and hang out for just a touch, see how the show went down. And uh, you can get that access to that content on my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Nika Shirell. Learn more about this work at theitcast.com. Subscribe to this channel and share with your community. Thank you, everybody.